What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Tony. And the fitness industry right now is not what it could be. It's become something built on unrealistic expectations, aesthetics, and external validation, directing attention away from what actually matters. The bottom line is we're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by giving you the knowledge and tools so you have confidence in applying the best possible training and nutrition into your own lives. Where today we have a few fun topics that we are going to dive into in a bite-sized fashion. Specifically, we're going to be talking about body types or somatotypes, whether you're an ecto or endomorph, a mesomorph, and how those body types impact your ability to lose fat and gain muscle, whether or not colostrum supplements are worth the hype, which I've been seeing everywhere, how worried you should be about food coloring, food preservatives and artificial flavorings and answering the question of how do I get someone you love or care about to start working out and take better care of their health. Before we get into it, if you want to make us happy, if you want to support us, the easiest way you could do so is by giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening. And you can also go ahead and follow us on Spotify to stay up to date on every new episode. And if you want more after each episode, join us over on premium for just five bucks a month. Just five bucks. Are we insane? A little bit. But over on premium, you get bonus episodes every single Friday where we're answering your questions. You get access to all of our full training programs like our high frequency body program, our ultimate push pull leg program, and our newest program that is set to drop in just the next few weeks. You also get other sick perks like weekly region supplement giveaways, exclusive discounts for companies like Aura Ring, Examine Plus, and so much more. Sign up for that is in our show notes down below. And as always, quick thank you to the sponsor of today's podcast, Legion Athletics, homie since day one, who we talk about enough and have used since long before we partnered with them on the podcast. But if you ever need to restock on your staples, like their whey protein isolate, which is lactose free, so it's super easy on your stomach if that bothers you like it does me, their high dose omega-3 fish oil or clinically dosed pre-workouts, you can use the Legion link down in the show notes down below or type in the code FSPOD. That's FSPOD at checkout for 20% off your first order or double points on every order after that. We've been with them for a long time. I know. I kind of want to have Mike Matthews back on the podcast. (laughs) That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, Ethan, honestly, I think took my top spot for our favorite guest I've ever had last week, but he was great. Mike might be number two. It's always interesting to hear about the back end of the supplement industry. I feel like there's always stories to tell so much shit going on that it's good tea. (laughs) That's that's what I'd honestly want the next one to be is just tea straight up. Yeah. Give me some dirt. Like, what have you seen? Because he was getting into it a little bit, but we had to cut it short on time because we we had like an objective. Because there's so much you don't hear about and don't know. So, Oh, my gosh. But the stuff he was going into, I'm like, we need a freaking three-hour session with this. I know. It was fantastic. (laughs) Also, shout out. Thank you to everyone who wished me a happy birthday last week. Not talking to Mariana. She forgot, even though I told her. I forgot. I did it. It was also on my calendar. I have birthdays on my calendar, and I just, I'm the worst. Sorry. no excuse. I, I didn't. She made it up. She made it up. But it's I want to give good. a shout out because have you ever seen those TikToks where it's like if you have a hard time shopping for your boyfriend, if you have a guy in your life who you got to buy a gift for, but you have no clue what guys want for like Christmas, for their birthday, whatever, all those. Mm-hmm. Karina got me a freaking katana, like a samurai sword, a legit samurai sword. 
don't, and I'm not joking. I was up until midnight. No, I haven't seen the TikTok. What TikTok? Like of a guy who got a sword from his girlfriend. I was up till midnight that night just playing with it. And we went to the first thing we did the next morning was go to Walmart to get as much fruit as possible. Bananas, apples, pears, and just like real life fruit. And I'm telling you right now, ladies, if you have a guy in your life, seriously, if you have a guy in your life, any guy, doesn't matter, period. Doesn't matter if they watch anime, if they like Japanese culture, who cares if they're a dude and you get them a legit samurai sword, they will behead, they will remember it for the rest of their lives. (laughs) It was the coolest, funniest thing I've ever heard of, but I was playing with it all weekend. I still do. (laughs) It's insane. It was insane. But we got to get down to business today. Let's get down to business. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And we're going to start that off (laughs) talking about somatotypes or body types i get this question all the time i think it might be because i'm on more male audience than you have Mm -hmm. you talked about or heard a lot about this the somatotypes oh i've heard quite a bit about it and i was actually used to be just intrigued by it seeing as i'm just like a six foot tall woman which not many i've never had until i really started playing volleyball anyone with my body Mm. type none of my friends growing up so i was like i was just like intrigued by it and what what it meant um yeah i still see it a lot today too yeah a lot of uh, yeah guys and girls a lot of guys and girls but all the time people would ask me like how do i know what my body type is or they'll follow it up like okay i know i can't change the body type i have but can i at least make the most out of what i've got and this theory of somatotypes was created i think back in the 40s that's where i traced it back to by a psychologist that says Everyone has an innate body type, either an ecto, endo, or mesomorph, right? Those are the three categories you'd put yourself in. And what type you are would inform your ability to build muscle and lose fat. And you'd have a different approach for whatever type you have. And it's really what this idea was, was it was written into your genetic code. So changing it would be impossible. You're either one, two, or three. And that's just the cards you're dealt. You got to deal with it. Um, that was the first like side eye like well wait a second that i had uh, did you just have that too like that was the first little red flag mm-hmm. beige flag yellow flag we're getting close to the territory right but it makes you raise your eyes now the difference between the three is the ectomorph body type this is more of like the lean and slim body type right so these people tend to have more narrow hips and shoulders thin wrists thin ankles longer limbs and lower levels of body fat and muscle so for Ectomorph, they usually struggle with gaining muscle and even gaining weight in general, any kind of weight, but they find it really, really easy to lose it. These are the people that might say, I've got a fast metabolism. I can't gain weight to save my life, whatever that might look like. That's an ectomorph. The mesomorph body type is typically thought of as like the athletic body type, the one that most people would ideally want when it comes to just purely physique and aesthetic. Broad shoulders, narrow waist, they usually have more muscle than the average person. And they usually find it easier to gain muscle and lose fat than most people do. The endomorph body type, the other one, the third, is thought of as more of like the stocky build type, right? Usually characterized with like a wider rib cage, a wider waist, giving their upper body kind of like a blocky. Appearance is usually how it's best described. And generally speaking, endomorphs find gaining muscle relatively easy, but have a really hard time losing fat. Right. There's, and you could go deep into like what traits you have. It's almost like a personality quiz, like an Enneagram or something like that. Myers Briggs. Yeah. Are you big on Enneagram or my, either of those? 
I think they're fascinating. I think I'm an INFJ. I don't. I I never connected super well with the Myers Briggs. I connected way deeper on Enneagram, which was shocking to me. Have you ever taken that one? Which one's that? There's like nine types, and then you have like a type and a subtype, or like a wing is what you call it. It's like I'm a four wing three. Oh, I don't think I've taken that. If you're an Enneagram. Hit me up with oh, what you're ready. I got to send it, it to you. It's weird. It's not like astro- astrology where it just gives like very generalized things. It'll like read you like a book, like better than you've read yourself. And you're like, oh my God, I'm mm-hmm. terrified. Someone just looked into my soul. Anywho, but that's what these are kind of proposed as. as like, these are the yeah. three types and people get deep into it and they almost start to characterize themselves, right? And you don't really, if you're wondering and sitting there like, what type am I? You don't really need a quiz to figure out which cal- like category you fall under. Just look at yourself. If you have thin wrists and ankles and your shoulders are as narrow as your hips, you're probably more of an ectomorph. If you have broad shoulders and a slim waist and you find it pretty easy to gain muscle, lose fat, you'd be more of a mesomorph, right? If you have a blockier upper body, then you're probably an endomorph. It doesn't take a, a, a quiz to figure out what you are. And with that being said too, no one fits perfectly into just one category, right? Like, I was just I know, that. Exactly. Like, I could fit myself both. into two two of those three categories. And you, most people listening to this, probably the same, but the real question is, does any of this really matter? Is there any science behind this? And the answer is yes and no, right? Because this is like genetics will determine your bone structure, your frame, your starting position. So yes, your genetics influence a lot of different aspects about your appearance, especially where you start, but no, it doesn't determine whether or not you can make any sort of progress. If you can build muscle or lose fat, for instance, I hear endomorphs all the time just say like, you know what? I'm just built big as a justification for why they can't trim down. It's like, that's not a reason why you can't do something. You might be built bigger to start, but that doesn't impede you from making progress or slimming down if you really want that. Right. Or ectomorphs. A lot of the time, this is like in the gym bro culture on social media, the people who are like, I, I, bro, I eat so much food. I can't eat any more food. I've just got a fast metabolism. I'm a hard gainer. I can't gain any more weight. I can't gain muscle and size to save my life. But this is really like, this is really just wrong on just about every level that yeah. we want to come into. <sighs> just because first, <laughs> this is what cracks me up. And you have to realize this. It's not as sexy and it's not the most comforting thing to hear. How much muscle and body fat you have right now are mostly determined by your current and past eating and exercise behaviors, not your genetics. If you're a jack dude with relatively low body fat percentage, that's probably a result of what you've been doing daily for the last several years when it comes to exercise and diet, not your magic genetics, right? Genetics can influence how easy or hard it might be to do something, but it doesn't stop you from making any progress in any sort of direction. And that's what I think the big flaw with this really is does that make sense yeah i think so and i think also be like there are those we've talked about this before there are those very like the very small group of people like small percentage of the population where those people will look jacked and yeah barely have to even work out probably eat like shit and you're like oh that one friend that's just like you suck like yep. you look like that and that is such i feel like that can cloud out people's judgment on the representation of those people amongst the greater population because that is so few people. And I think where people are so quick to blame genetics is they also have this warped uh, view of what they can look like. So Mm. 
genetics can influence your potential of what you look like. Like if you are a shorter, stockier person and you have wider set hips and a wider rib cage, you're not going to look like the lean, long model. You're just never going to look like that. And it doesn't mean you can't change your body composition. It doesn't mean you can't yeah. lose fat. It doesn't mean you can't have lean muscle, but you're just not going to look like that because that's not how you're built. And that's not like, I think people confusing yeah. this, oh, I'm just not built like that with, oh, I can never lose fat. I can never have lean muscle like they do. It's this fine line between actually looking like something that you can't look like and thinking that you just like are incapable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's really how it's used. Cause I think it's really helpful to identify where you're starting from. We've talked about mm -hmm. that in all of our goal episodes. That is probably the step that 99% of people skip and why they fail at their goals. Cause they don't spend time thinking and identifying where am I starting from? They can identify their goal where they want to be point B, but they don't take a second to think about where they are starting from because your life is a lot different than the person next to you and the person next to you and everybody else listening to this. So more, I wouldn't say it's better to categorize yourself as one of these three things, but you should take the time to think of where you are starting from. Do you have too much body fat and you want less? That doesn't mean you're X, Y, or Z. That means you should be going into a moderate calorie deficit, eat the right amount of protein and start lifting heavy weights three to five times per week. That's the direction for someone who has too much body fat and wants less. Doesn't matter what you categorize yourself. If you think you're too thin and want more muscle, solve that problem. So it helps identifying where you are starting from and where you want to be. But I don't think identifying yourself with a category and then saying, I can and can't do this because of my genetics or whatever. I don't think that's super, super helpful because people have to like, remember this, all of these like workout and diet principles that we've talked about on the show, they come from sound fundamental training and nutrition philosophy that's embedded in human physiology, basic human physiology, not predicated or based on your body type or male versus female, how humans build muscle, the same mechanisms are at play and it looks different in everyone's life, but you have to realize that. So for example, this is one that we've talked about in the last point I'll make on these to move past it is how important your bone structure is and how that's one of the largest determining factors for how fast you can build muscle and how much you can build muscle. And that's also the biggest differentiator between men and women and why men can on average build more muscle is just because they have such a bigger and more dense frame to start out with. But we use that in our muscle potential calculator we have on the website. If you have a larger frame, male or female body type, whatever, you'll probably find it easier to build more muscle or to get stronger than someone with a much smaller or petite or less dense frame would. So it, it's helpful to understand where you're starting from and it, what you're set up with. But I don't think these three categories help at all. And what's funny to me is it's almost like a, the concept is almost like a, when you really think about it, well, duh, when you think about individual differences but between people are just going to make certain things harder and easier that yeah. something is going to be a little bit harder for you and a little bit easier for the next person because of individual differences. Exactly. That, yeah. Like if you're an ectomorph versus endo, you shouldn't train differently. If your goal is to build muscle, if your goal is to build muscle, you guys should be training very similar. Dieting, same thing. That's what cracks me up. I'm like, if the goal it's is to like lose just fat. just the effort you put into certain aspects of the process 
might be a little bit more. So someone who yes. struggles to lose fat a little bit more might just have to put a little bit more effort in adhering to their calorie deficit. Maybe it's going to have to be a little bit bigger of a calorie deficit than the next person. Principles yeah. all still apply. The same principles exactly. all still apply. It's just where you're putting in more effort uh, exactly. versus someone who struggles to put on mass. Like they're going to have to put a lot more effort into their bulking phase and have to pay a lot more attention there. It's yeah. Just all yeah, but the thought of like that you need different workouts or th just the basic laws of thermodynamics don't apply to you. No, makes me laugh. But it's a heavily wondered about question. Yeah, so just, it is. yeah, double down on more of what you and your circumstances need. Now, I'm going to put my student cap on. I'm excited about this one because I've heard a million times, I don't know what this is, but I've yeah. heard this word dozens of times a week colostrum supplements. I know nothing mm -hmm. about these. So, can you tell me about this? Because I get asked probably 10 yeah. times a week whether or not they're hyper complete scam. What is yeah. it? Yeah. So when I first saw these start to get popular, my mind was like colostrum. Wait a second. Am I seeing this right? Because colostrum in general, not the supplement, is the milky fluid that is first released from the breast when a mammal is born. So it's very, very nutrient dense. It's higher in mm. protein and lower in fat than mature milk. And okay. it's loaded with antioxidants, antibodies that help build an infant's immune system. So that's what you're really looking for when breastfeeding, whether you're giving formula, it's the colostrum. That's going to really, mm. really help, one, protect them against a lot of diseases and viruses because of all the antibodies in it. But it provides so many of those nutrients to help you grow and develop. That's colostrum. So is colostrum yeah. just the milk that the mother produces when it has a newborn or is colostrum something that is inside of the milk? Does that make sense? That question? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a milky fluid. So say in breast milk, like it would be found in breast milk. Oh, um, okay. So colostrum is a thing in breast milk. It's not just what breast milk is called when it's. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. So talking about supplements. So these colostrum supplements we're seeing there bovine colostrum supplements. So there's a very limited window for humans to receive a dose of your mother's colostrum. You can only consume that in infancy when they're breastfeeding, but there's supplements made from the colostrum of cows. So companies are literally extracting colostrum from mother cow's milk, dehydrating it into a powder and selling it as this high protein nutrient rich supplement. That's what it is, <laughs> which I look at that. I'm like, wait, that's kind of gross. No hate, no shade, but that's a little bit gross to me. A little gross, um, but I've done some gross yeah. things. So, okay. Yeah. So is it, like, is it like that special? What are you really getting out of it? Let me tell you what companies are claiming. Because the what babies get from mothers or any baby mammal, you get these antibodies, a bunch of nutrients. Bovine colostrum is a similar idea, like what you would give to a cow to help it grow, protect prevent it against diseases. Uh, uh -huh. So there's so many of these claims now because of that, because it's so nutrient rich, because it has these antibodies. Now that it's made into a supplement, we are going into the world of unrealistic health claims based off of something that is true, but does it also apply to us as adults? Is it going to yeah, have- like, Is it meaningful? Of, yeah. So- the biggest supplement company you see now that you'll see everywhere are Armrest, the brand Armra. They, they okay. sell the bovine colostrum literally 
everywhere. There are influencer ads everywhere, specifically for this brand. If you go on their website, you'll see claims like it strengthens immunity, fortifies gut health, boosts your metabolism, upgrade your energy, improve mood and focus, enhance skin radiance, optimize performance. This This is straight from their website. Yeah, straight from your website. And this is the biggest claims you'll see from people online are saying like how it improves your gut health boost your immune system and then also seeing a lot for weight loss and bloating all that Mm. fun stuff but what i also found on their website is that is of course it says it's clinically backed so 86 percent experience less bloating from taking the supplement 60 percent notice better focus and energy 79 percent reported thicker hair 80 percent improved their lean muscle mass strength and endurance so this is on their website like this is what they're saying on their website. So they say okay. it's clinically backed. They cite the source. So I'm like, this is that's great. Like, that's actually a green flag. So obviously I'm gonna look at this yeah. study that they backed with all these, these numbers. Yeah, like eighty six percent. Yeah. Yeah. So just first off, this study that they cited, it's their paper. It is a paper. Okay. It's not a peer reviewed study. It's a paper, it's an article. Uh-oh. But it shows it doesn't have any data. It's not the actual like they didn't put they on did. any tests, right? No, they're referencing okay. tests on human cells in a petri dish in a lab, not studying people. And this is again, this is a paper. This is not a peer-reviewed study. So they're not going through the methods and the discussion and the results. They are talking about another study that looked at colostrum in a and just how lab. and it's like how they want to interpret it, right? Correct. Oh, okay. Correct. Okay. You cannot apply that to real people to improve the effectiveness of these claims. I have no idea where they got these stats from because that's not in the paper they referenced. That's not mm. there anywhere. So I'm guessing that this is probably just like a survey from consumers. Those aren't statistics from a study. So first of all, okay. that is so misleading Yeah. and absolutely insane to me because also they said based off of third party so they have they cited the paper right but this paper was based off of a third party clinical trial which was the petri dish in a lab and they used around between 20 and 60 grams of colostrum armra one of their servings one of their packets has one one gram one gram Oh, shut up, really? So, has, wait, so it has one gram, and the thing that they're citing was one in a petri dish, but two. 20 to 60 grams. And even in, I'm going to talk about some research in a bit, because uh, there are a few human uh, studies looking at colostrum. They also use between 20 and 60 grams of colostrum. In these supplements, you see around between one and two grams of colostrum per packet, uh, which is hilarious. So anyway. Oh, this is so <laughs> our- funny. Okay, keep going. That, that is yeah. hilarious. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So that's that really specific brand. I just wanted to mention them because that's Mm. where you'll see everywhere. Like people are holding up that product, but are there any real benefits to supplementing with it? Is there any potential that research? There is research there. It's so there's not much at all. It's still like in its infancy stages, I would say, because there are a lot of rodent studies, a lot of Petri dish studies and human studies are in their infancy. There's not enough conclusive evidence to say any health benefit is a shoe in from these supplements, which is not a surprise at all. But to talk specifically about like the claims of a weight loss, which you see, which is interesting. I'm like, how on earth could you take this supplement that is from 
cow milk and say this is going to make you lose weight that yeah. that is crazy to me like, like, I, I'm just curious of what mechanism like does it make you less hungry yeah so speed up your like what does it do yeah so these supplements are high in protein so protein can help support weight loss indirectly because it can help you be in a calorie deficit. We have talked about that so much. That is specific to protein in general. If you are adding in more protein to your diet in general, that is uh, mm. an effect it's going to have. Uh, that's what protein does. And if you're not eating much protein at all, you start to take these supplements in a few of these short-term studies that are very small, small studies in humans, mostly all elite athletes looking at it. Mm. Uh, you might see a slight difference, but there's no controlling for this protein content. So typically that's you would, if you looked at that and you drew a conclusion, like how would you know if it's because they're like essentially just taking a protein supplement now versus not? I was going to say, I wonder what they were, because if they were dosing between 20 and 60 grams. Yeah. I'm like, that's not like any supplement you would find available no, to the public. You're not right going to get that. No, you're not going to get that. One eight-week study showed a very slight benefit for muscle gain and fat loss in supplementing with colostrum, but the difference, because it was only 20 people and they were elite athletes, it's you can't really apply that to the greater population. And you, they also, again, they didn't control for any other dietary intake, including protein, so I don't know. Like the group they compared it to that didn't take it. Well, essentially, it's just looking at people who took a protein supplement and people who didn't. Like, that's how I look yeah. at it. It's like, there's nothing special about the colostrum say, they're, here. They're marketing it almost as like, a, like this colostrum is special and makes you lose weight. They're not saying yeah. why or how. It's just like, no, colostrum helps you lose weight. Is it the protein? No, it's colostrum. Yeah. That's what yeah. it's coming yeah. off as. Okay. Yeah. And then there was also a peer an article that looked at at least like 10 human studies, all smaller. None of them are that great, that significant, but none of them found any difference in body composition when supplementing with colostrum. So the majority of data in humans now shows that colostrum supplements aren't going to have any effect on your body composition, your weight. Where there might be some potential, where again, this is all based off of my studies and Petri dish. So I can't say that this is going to apply to humans, but the so-called immune boosting properties, maybe some potential there that could help with issues like the flu, certain viruses and airway diseases caused by bacteria, because again, colostrum is very nutrient rich, but it's also really high in these antibodies that can fight bacteria mm. and viruses. We don't understand how that plays out in adults. These are all based off of animal studies. So potential maybe, okay. but- can't say anything beyond that. Okay. So, and again, the doses that you find in these studies are not in, in supplements, not even close to what you're getting from a supplement. Uh, okay. So. That's what I was going to follow up on. I'm like, okay, so with these studies, it's like, okay, would this be something that's very nutrient dense? There should, could be some potential, but from the supplements people are buying, absolutely not. It's not a maybe it's yeah. an absolutely not. Cause you're getting a 20th to a 60th, two to 5% and of what you'd actually need. To maybe it's a hundred dollars. One of these like no tubs. Way. It's almost like the size really? of a pre-workout, like that you would get your pre-workout in. Yeah. It's like that same size, a hundred and ten dollars. A hundred and ten dollars. No, oh not so, even. Okay. It is new, like really nutrient dense. Like it's not like a yeah. made up. It's not a complete scam in that sense. Like no. colostrum itself has a lot of nutrients in it. Yeah, because when you think about it, it's for bait. The bovine colostrum, it's for baby cows to help them grow and develop, like, yeah. and get the nutrients they need. 
Like that's how I've seen it marketed. I haven't seen much on it, but that's how I usually see it. It's got all these nutrients because its goal is to grow this little baby cow into <laughs> a full-grown adult cow, Mr. Cow. Yeah. Yeah. But is it worth it? Like probably, I say probably, but if I'm going to be honest here, really no. This brand specifically and what you're seeing people refer to on social media a lot has a clearly has a huge marketing budget and targets mm. vulnerable populations, people like busy moms, especially those with acne, those who struggle with bloating, who struggle to lose weight, and they use that to sell their product. And the biggest tell-all to me is how they are pretending to use clinically relevant data that is not at all relevant to their product. And they yeah. are skewing the, I don't even want to say results because- I don't even know where they're taking their results from, but yeah. either survey just is completely made up. Very misleading. Anytime that there is a website that cites a paper, cites an article, you and I look at it and it's just a paper. It's exactly that. It's an article. It's not a yeah, study. Like, oh, here we go. How could you claim any clinical significance if that if you're doing that? <sighs> Try to consume as many fruits and vegetables as possible. Eat a diet high in protein. If you're looking for something very nutritious, like get get some some milk, some fresh milk. If you want that dairy, go for it. Okay. So for most of these supplements, it's an absolutely no. Yeah. For the bigger ones that you might get 20 to 60 grams, even then people are like, well, what if mine does have that much? Is it worth $110? It's like probably not still because think... this is all still a, a guess at this point of whether or not it'll do anything, if anything. It'll... And it's a supplement. Like focus on your diet. <laughs> the same story that I will tell you at the end of the day, every time I talk about a supplement, if you're not focusing on your diet and lifestyle, you are wasting your time and money regardless of if it works because it's exactly that. It's supplemental to everything else you are doing. I'm not going to lie. That kind of played out how I expected it to. Whenever I hear about like this new hot supplement, that's like just groundbreaking. I think we would have had a clue about this before yeah and the, okay. it's just getting weirder and weirder to be honest like they're just getting more creative and really fucking that's really fucking weird like why do we need to be doing that why do we it need does, it's got all the pieces to a little ma like piece of magic think about it it's the baby cat makes the baby cows big cows think about it mm. i love those pitches so colostrum out the door okay i'm actually glad i learned about that more because i just i didn't have a clue too much so now I at least i have an answer yeah. for it now, on to our next topic, which I'm actually excited to get into, because this is a question we got from an AMA that I get asked all the freaking time, and it's a difficult question to talk about. It's a hard one to answer. It's not a, is this right or wrong? It's a hard one to answer. And the question is, how do I get someone who I love to start working out and to take better care of their health? I feel like they're just lazy. And this is asked really about someone in their significant other, but this could be in your family, significant other, it could be anything, but this is something a lot of people run into where they're with someone they love or they do love someone. And maybe it's over time or from the start, health just isn't really a priority to them as it is to you. Here's how I see it. You can't change who someone is. You can't, but you can change the way they see the world. You can change that, how they see the world. And that's why someone behaves the way they do. That's why they are or are not working out or taking care of their health is because it makes sense to them in the world they see. It makes sense to them in the world they see. To someone who loves dogs, I love dogs, right? It might seem insane for a person to be terrified of them. 
They're the most friendly, unthreatening, gentle pets in the world. We're both dog people, Mariana and I, mm -hmm. you didn't know. But to someone who was attacked by a dog when they were a child, they see them as a monster, a literal monster when they walk out of the house. They look completely different. One of these people would behave by running up to a random dog across the street just to pet it, while the other would make sure to cross the street blocks away just to be safe and make sure it does not have to cross their path. Their actions, their behaviors change based on how they see the world. Their behavior reflects how they see the world. But for some reason, the importance of working out doesn't carry the same weight to this person as it could to you. I think that's the hard part. You see a blue and black dress, they see a white and gold one. In their worldview, they're not wrong for not wanting to work out. You have to understand that first. You have to understand like why they're doing the way they do it. So the only way I really think you can change someone else's actions is to first listen to them, to actually try and understand what their world must look like for them not to value that thing as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And then once you understand it, you can lead by example, support, rather than just nagging or complaining about it. I think that's the hardest yeah. thing is like, when it's like, how do I change my partner to do X, Y, or Z? I really don't think you can change someone. No. You can influence how they see the world and that might change their behavior. But I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think you can change somebody? You, oh my God. No, I do not think you can change anyone, especially when it comes to their values. So health is a value. And if it is not in your core, if it's not in your partner or friends or whoever's core values, you can't change that. And you don't want to try and change that because it can almost push someone away from you. But what you can do is show them why it is in your core values. Showing instead of telling, I think, is the biggest yeah. thing you could do when it comes to trying to get someone to change. You're not going to be able to do it, so to say, but you can influence how they view the world by bringing something new into it that they have never seen. So yes. when it comes to health, instead of telling someone, you know, like, this exercising is, is so important because you don't want to have all these problems later on in life and you need to care about your health because you don't want to get sick. You want to live a full life. That's not going to make someone change. It may mm -hmm. spark something in their head. That's not going to make them care versus mm -hmm. getting them involved in cooking healthy meals and showing how convenient it might be to meal prep and over time starting to cook healthier meals together and they may see, oh, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit better, allowing them to experience those changes. Maybe it's not getting them to go to the gym with you, but now you structure in an evening walk together as part of your quality time. You, you pick up pickleball together to start exercising a little bit. Oh, I, I feel good. I enjoy this more than going and sitting at a bar and drinking, right? Doing things to allow them to feel what you're feeling and allow them to start to see that why a little bit. I think is the most influential. Sorry, I feel like I just talked for way too long. <laughs> no, because I think it, well, I, I think it was John Delaney who said it, mm -hmm. something like this, is that behavior is a language. And if behavior yeah. is a language, what are they telling you? Or what are you telling them? I think that, and that's, I think you and I share that value too. Behavior, I think, is number one, what I believe someone more than what they say. That you could tell me anything, that you'll do something, that you whatever. I really could not, I could care less. You tell me you love me, I could care less. Mm -hmm. It's how you behave, like your behavior structure that. So here's the hard thing though, is I think if you ask the entire population, do you think health is important? 
or your health is important? I think 99.9% .9 of people would say, yes, my health is important to me. Whether they're mm -hmm. in shape, out of shape, they would say that. But I think here's the hard part is that that word means something different to everybody, health and what that really is. And I think that's the hard part is everyone says they value health, but it's like, what health are you talking about? The same health I'm talking about? Because it's probably different. Because I actually thought a lot about this question because I've thought about it and how I want to influence because it's a little ethical too of like, should you be influencing or changing someone else's behavior that's outside of your own? That's yeah. another conversation okay. because there's a million reasons where they do care about their health, but mm -hmm. life gets busy, work stressful, whatever. There's a million different reasons why someone's health can take the back burner yeah. and it could almost become more normal to them. And it starts to worry you a little bit because you're like, wait a second, maybe this is not the person who I, you know, they were when I met them, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's, I, I thought a lot about it because I'm like, this is a kind of a deep question, but I think there's a few steps you can really put into place to do that. And I think the first one is like looking at yourself first, because it's easy to say like, oh, my boyfriend's lazy, my girlfriend's lazy. They don't want to do this. I think the first step is like looking at you like first you have to identify what behavior you're actually trying to change and then you have to understand the motivation behind why they're currently doing what they're doing so the first part of this is you have to be clear about what behavior you're trying to actually change because mm -hmm. just saying i want them to be healthier that is the laziest meaningless sentence you could say get specific what do you mean what does healthier mean to you right it means something different we talked about to every single person is it about exercising more? Is it eating better? Is it improving their mental health, their relationship with themselves? It could mean a million things. What are you talking about? That's what you got to first do. You can't just say, I want them to be healthier, right? Because you're just don't, it's a lazy question. Don't expect anything from that. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is you have to really be curious and understand the motivation behind their current behavior, what their world must look like for them, to, for that to be normal to them. I don't think people listen that much or listen that well. I think what was, I was listening to this podcast on Farnham street with Shane Parrish, one of my favorite podcasts. And for some reason, the way they put it really stuck with me. And it's most people are listening to win, not listening to understand. And I think that's so freaking true. When you see people debating one party is usually just listening to the other one, just to hear the key points they can pick apart and win the argument. They're not listening so to truly understand where something's coming from. And sometimes and I've used that relationships fail because that is yeah. like the worst thing you could do when it comes to communication, like trying yeah. to. But so many, I, I even get caught yeah. up in doing it sometimes too. Like I, Karina and I, that's the phrase we'll use if we ever feel like the other person's not trying to understand. It's like, Hey, it feels like you're listening to win right now. You're not listening to understand. Mm, and it brings you back down. Cause I think it's easy for people to do that. But I think a lot of people when they're, they want their partner or someone they care about to change their behavior, they don't care why their behavior is the way it is. They care that it's not the way they want it to be. That, like, that's what it usually is, right? And yeah. it takes a lot of communication. So first, like, if you suck at communication, maybe you should try and get better at that first on a you thing. Yeah. But it takes, like, really, like, open dialogue, non-judgmental, non-confrontational conversations about the behavior to really figure out what their world must look like for that to be normal. It's especially with health, because health is a vulnerable topic and it can be uncomfortable. You don't know yeah. if there's some level of shame for why someone is acting the way they are that may be keeping them from talking about it with you or wanting to change. It's a very vulnerable topic and you're like 
a product of your environment, your upbringing. There's so much that goes into it. Like I think of, for example, my boyfriend, when we first met, he was really worried about me judging him for him not really eating many vegetables. Like that specific <laughs> and like he like asked me if I cared and I was like no like what why if you don't mind me asking like why don't you eat many vegetables and he's like it just was never something that my parents and it wasn't sh like demonstrated as being as that important really to me but I'd love to like learn how to cook them like yeah. with you and like you know so yeah it's, but you would never know if you didn't talk about it right and, like ask yeah. questions about it like why would you think I care yeah. or whatever you mm -hmm. don't know. So don't listen to win. Yeah, don't listen to win. Listen to understand. Mm -hmm. After you actually understand what their world must look like for that to be normal, I think you have to realize something next. And I found a term for this because I, I always had thought about this, but I didn't know it was called something. I think it's called self-determination theory. Oh, my God. You are taking me to back to school. My theories of behavior change. We're yeah. all about this. I, I was going to say, the th this theory is really just, and it makes so much sense if you think about how you change, if you're listening, it's like how you've gone through change in your life. It's really just that behavior change is more effective when someone feels autonomous, when they're making mm. their own decisions, not when someone is telling them what to do. I'm stubborn as hell. I could <laughs> full heartedly love and want to do something. And the second says someone else comes in and says like, hey, do that. I'm like, ah, don't really want to anymore. Hence why we both work for ourselves. Exactly. Right. Like, but if someone tells you to do something, you just, you might be able to do it, but you don't care about doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you really want to yeah. change someone's behavior, they have to change as a person. So if you're just yeah. telling them to do it or nagging it, I promise you that's the fastest way to make it fail. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you have to actually encourage the person and set them up and really go through this on their own and like really give, like it's more positioning, put them in a position to where they can make the right choices and it might not look exactly what you picture it in your head, but that's okay. Like it, yeah. moving in the right direction is the next thing. And I, eh, I don't know if there's three or four parts to this, but the next part, and I think the biggest part is along the way, because you got to remember, this is not something that happens in days to weeks. It's like know. months to years is how long behavior change truly, truly takes. And it's going to take a lot from you too, to support and to encourage. They're not just going to change at the flip of a hat. And I don't know if it was, I think I first heard of this from, was, I don't know if it was Charlie Munger or Buffett or who, I don't even know if they coined it or that's just who I heard about it. But I was learning more about it when I was looking into leadership roles and improving relationships, but it's the quote of praise specifically, criticize broadly. And I freaking love it because it, it came in for like leadership, but I'm like, it works for everything, for relationships, for if you're trying to help someone be different, praise specifically, criticize broadly. And what that essentially means broken down Praise specifically means when they do something that is a step in the right direction, be very specific about exactly what they did, because that is going to reinforce that exact behavior. It's not going to be mm -hmm. some like over here, generalized, doesn't really connect. It's going to be like, oh, hey, you saw me and I am going to keep doing that thing. For example, like this is just a lame example I pulled up. But if you see them after a workout, or they wouldn't work out the week. Don't just say good job. That was awesome. Or good job. I'm proud of you. That might sound like, oh, they're supportive, but I'm like, that doesn't really mean much. It doesn't support what you're trying to do. If you say something more specific, like, holy crap, like, did you wake up and work out every single morning this week? That's insane. Like, that's awesome. And then if you want to throw a little positive reinforcement, you can say, hey, you want to get Chipotle and watch the entire second season of Jujutsu Kaisen this weekend for a little rest and recovery. <laughs> Let's celebrate it. Whatever. But you have to be specific. Like, you did the hard thing of like, you woke up every single morning, you didn't miss a workout. That's very specific versus just, Oh, good job. You're yeah. working out. What, you know what I'm saying? It's very specific. But then the side of that coin is when it comes to 
quote unquote, like bad behavior or criticism. You want to criticize broadly. And this is, I mean, it made sense to me when I was learning about working with employees, but it's even more so in relationships with somebody else is no one wants to be like ostracized or like singled out or just painted as like the bad person when they mm -hmm. screw up. Everyone's going to screw up because like, that's the first thing. Like they're yeah. not going to not screw up. That doesn't just happen, right? They're going to screw up on their diet, whatever. But you want to focus more on the situation rather than the individual if you're trying to give that kind of feedback. So this just really helps prevent the person feeling demoralized or attacked because they messed up. So that's what you have to understand. So instead of, you know, for example, if they mess up their diet, saying something like, do you know how bad that food is for you? Or you're never going to eat healthy or you're never going to get healthy eating like that or eating stuff like that. That's very specific and that's going to be very targeted and that's not going to help them improve their behavior, right? Saying something like, oh, like, yo, that's hard. It's really hard to stay on track when life gets busy. I mess up all the time. Kind of like what you were saying in the beginning, offer a solution. What if this Sunday we do a, we make it meal prep day? We go to Costco, get some fire food, turn on the, the aux cord for an hour, and we just meal prep our weeks. I got a really busy week next week too. That way we're not going to miss it, right? Like the criticism is more putting on yourself or general. It's not putting on them to be better. You're providing a solution. You're being patient. I, like I promise, like 10 times, they're just, they're 10 times likely to actually improve if you can do that rather than nag or criticize like that. It's the biggest thing in behavior change. And you have to realize, I think the last thing is like we said, behavior, it doesn't happen at the snap of a finger. It's yeah. so funny to me when people expect other people to change overnight. It's like, look at any time you've changed in your life, like a meaningful change. Think about it outside of fitness or health. My favorite example is like when someone changes from political parties, like a Republican to a Democrat or vice versa over, over time, they don't just wake up one day and realize that they've been wrong their entire lives about what they've thought. It's usually a result of a gradual shift in beliefs, their values or perceptions, rather than that sudden transformation. It's a very gradual shift, one piece at a time, one step out of hundreds of thousands of steps that gets them from point A to point B over years. Someone who doesn't work out or doesn't pay attention to what they eat, has zero healthy habits, they don't just wake up one day and from there on out, they don't miss a day at the gym. They automatically understand how to track their macros. And they start doing the Huberman routine, walking 10,000 steps. They don't just do that. They don't wake up one day and be like, you know what? That's me now. It doesn't and they like might that. not ever want, I think understanding, they might not ever want to take it to that level. I think it's also important to talk about like, hey, what are you open to trying? Or like, what are you not comfortable with right now? Just, they may never be on your level of interest in health and working out. What it ends up looking like might be a little different you're different people. I mean, that's, that's how it should be with anything. Just because you're super passionate about it doesn't mean they're going to become super passionate about it, but they could still support you, start to invest in it more, but understanding going into it that it might not ever get to where, to how you feel about it. Yeah. It yeah. almost most definitely won't turn into exactly what you picture <laughs> yeah. in your head. Everyone thinks it's, you know, exactly how I'm doing it is how I want them. I want them to lift weights four days per week. I want them to do a little bit of cardio. I want them to walk 10 it's like, that's not how it's going to work. And that's where I'm like, when I see people change and when I've seen it in myself in the past too, you have to realize too, it's not going to look exactly how you want it to look in the sense of, let's say their first step, as long as it's in the right direction, you should be celebrating that. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just start moving more or they get a standing desk rather than a sitting one. They're not going to the gym any different. They're not tracking their food. They're not meal prepping. 
but a standing desk that's going to get them moving and just bit by bit again, it'll start bleeding into more behaviors that you're probably trying to push anyways. Mm -hmm. And you should celebrate that, not nag. Cause I, that's what I hate when I see people do it is they criticize someone for taking a step in the right direction because it's not a quote unquote big enough step for them. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm going to start walking outside. That's all you're doing. That's how it's meant. Instead of like, oh my God, that's huge. Like you're moving. That's a huge step forward mm -hmm. rather than like, oh, yeah. comparing it to myself. You're not lifting weights five days a week. What, what's wrong with you? That's all you're doing. <laughs> it's an, it's so annoying. My pet yeah. peeve. Cause so and many if people you wanted are someone like that, if you wanted someone with that same gym mentality, like if you wanted your reflection in the mirror, when it came to health and fitness, should have looked at, front, at that from the get-go because yeah, <laughs> yeah. so and like really if you really do care about this person like I, that's I, my favorite thing to do is like ask people like what's your definition of like love what is love mm -hmm. most people don't have an answer you should think about that but like the first thing that comes to my mind is like love is patient love is patient so whoever it is your family member your partner your whatever treat them like you love them with patience they're gonna screw up they're gonna do stupid things be patient it's going to take yeah. a while. So I think that's my thoughts. There's probably no right or wrong. There's probably a lot of wrong ways to do it. There's no perfect right way to do it. But that's a question that kept coming up a lot. I was like, how do I get my boyfriend, my girl, someone I care about to like start giving a shit about their health? Yeah. It's a long process. It's not easy, but if you really love them, I think it's worth it. I liked that a lot. That was a, I know. It was a good addition. I like that putting that question in here as one. Now let's talk about getting cancer. Oh, Food gosh. additives. Uh, so we're talking I'm, about. I honestly can't believe we haven't talked about these. Yet. For real. So specifically, when you're talking about food additives, you were saying it's artificial preservatives, mm -hmm. artificial flavors, and synthetic colors. I'm curious about too. Food dyes. About, food dyes. Food dyes. The food dyes. Those conversation. are so. There's a lot of different types of additives. These are like the three big ones. Especially you see the most controversy and claims about them. I'll name a few others later, but. Yeah, you see this all around food labels too, like no artificial preservatives, no artificial flavors, or no synthetic colors. You'll see that everywhere, which can imply that, okay, maybe certain food additives should be avoided if this is positioned as being a good thing. Absolutely. But are they truly bad for us? Should they be avoided at all costs to understand what they are first and kind of where this all comes from? which people do not take the time to do. So I'm going to do it for you. But legally, the term refers to any substances, any substance that is intended use, which results or may reasonably be expected to result directly or indirectly in its becoming a component or otherwise affecting the characteristics of any food. That definition sucks, but I included I'm it. I'm not going to lie. I got lost like three freaking times. I'm, I don't even know yeah. what you just said. <laughs> yeah. It, so that is like the legal FDA definition, and it is so vague, doesn't really make much sense, but you can really just pay attention to the end here. Something that may affect the characteristics of any food, whether that's directly, indirectly, that's the Cliff Notes version. But it leaves a lot open to interpretation, and there's many different ingredients that can do this. So again, preservatives, even vitamins and minerals, flavors, colors, sweeteners, leavening agents, emulsifiers, stabilizers, and thickeners. So there's so many. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot that they're positioned as they should be avoided. A lot of these people in the grocery store will call out these ingredients mm -hmm. because of their chemical name that you can't pronounce. So that's unsafe and unhealthy. Don't eat ingredients that you can't pronounce or that you don't know what they are. And they'll read their chemical name and may 
maybe they might just not even understand that dude you're talking about vitamin c here like i was gonna say that <laughs> these chemicals you're talking roll. about <laughs> that makes me eye roll so much yeah. more than anything else is if you can't pronounce it you shouldn't eat it yeah it cracks me up that people still think that's like a legitimate rule to yeah. follow it says nothing about its safety, whether or not you can pronounce. So let's get into preservatives first, because people are probably most familiar with that word. Like, oh, this has so many yeah. preservatives in it. Like, look at all those preservatives. They, they uh, definitely see it as a bad thing. A, hundred, yeah. a million percent. Yeah. They get a very bad rep, despite the fact that they keep food safe for much longer, which not only prevents many foodborne illnesses, but also helps to reduce food waste as well. So we're not throwing out all these foods all the time. But that... Is if preservatives really help a lot of foods from going rancid and keeping you from getting these illnesses. Because when you think about a lot of food products from the point of production to distribution and getting them on the table, they go through a lot of shit. Like they go through, unless if you're gardening and planting all of your food and getting all your crops, like that's just the nature of getting food to your table. There's a pretty long process there. And yeah. you want to make sure that you're taking all of the correct safety measures to prevent foodborne illnesses and foods from going rancid and contracting bacteria. That's what we should be doing. And I also just want to say, if you're claiming that any ingredient is harmful, you have to specify which ingredients and provide evidence that they're harmful at the amounts found in foods, which with many yeah. additives, people on the internet do not do, but they do demonize them for their unfamiliar names, like I was mentioning, which most of these preservatives fall into the following categories that you would see listed. So they could be salts, and the scary names that you may see are sodium benzoate, calcium propionate, sodium erythorbate, to just name a They're few. All salt. Yeah, that's salt. Different names for different types of salts. A vitamin, so ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C. Tosopherols, also vitamin C, or different types of acids, citric acid, benzoic acid, because you see the name acid, people are probably like, yep. oh my goodness, like that's so scary. An antioxidant, which just prevents these food, you think of oils, oils should have antioxidants in them because it will prevent them from oxidizing and going rancid. So BHA, I'm not even going to try to pronounce these names, but sometimes these abbreviated names will be listed out and they may seem very scary so bha especially i'm gonna if, try if and say it i was gonna say especially if your rule is if you can't pronounce it it shouldn't be in your body yeah butylated hydroxy anazole saying that you're like oh, what is that that's so scary it's an antioxidant that's preventing your olive oil from freaking going rancid and giving you a sickness that is crazy Wait, i think me. i just read is that what you're reading off is the bht yeah I'm trying to read yeah. that. Oh my God. That's like 40 And letters. some of them, they're the chemical names. Chemical names are like the chemical name for vitamin C, ascorbic acid. Ooh, what's that? That's scary. It's vitamin C. Also, some of these preservatives actually add essential nutrients to products. So vitamin C, vitamin E can be added as preservatives to satisfy nutrient requirements, especially for children um, and people who are in more low income communities who don't have access to as many uh, whole foods, vitamins, and minerals. So that's a very cheap way to prevent vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Nitrites in the form of sodium nitrite, or there's also vegetable nitrates. So you can get nitrate nitrites extracted from actual vegetable powder. Um, they're added to meats to prevent botulum poisoning, but <laughs> a certain type of poisoning, a certain type of foodborne illness. Yeah. That's why you're going to add these nitrites and people will look at that and be like, oh, 
that's such a scary, you can't pronounce that, you can't pronounce that. And it's preventing a foodborne illness. So you see this a lot. These preservatives have a very specific purpose and it is for your own safety. Benzoic acid and also it's calcium, sodium, or potassium salts are used as antibacterial agents and antifungals in foods like pickled cucumbers, jams, jellies, dressings, and condiments. So that's why you'll see that in there because it's going to prevent bacteria. So they have a purpose. And all these ingredients have to pass extensive safety testing before being approved for food use. And once they're approved, the FDA issues regulations that may include the types of foods in which they can be used. So they can't be used in all foods. And mm. they also include the maximum amounts and how it should be identified on food labels. This is very heavily, heavily regulated. And it's all for our own safety, right? Again, this is why I also say like really trying to make whole foods the center of your diet is really important. If you're trying to do that, you don't have to worry about all these scary things because a lot of these additives are going to be found in higher amounts in more processed foods, but that still shouldn't be the, the bulk of your diet anyway. If that's if processed foods are the majority of your diet, there are other reasons why your health is going to be at risk, mainly because you're not getting health promoting foods, not because of yeah. the small amount of preservatives you're getting. But that's preservatives and that just the sorry the long name and chemical list because i know i made a video like this a while ago i know zach cohen has done it a few times if you look at like the chemical makeup of just a banana that you pick off a tree mm -hmm. there's like 52 different chemicals that make up that banana like a chemical is not a bad it makes up everything that you are touching yeah right we now. just everything is chemicals yeah like same and thing with a banana there's 50 and you can't pronounce half of them and there's all these scary names you're like oh my god so that was the video it's like you show someone that and you're like would you put this in your body you don't tell them it's a banana you just show them the ingredient list of all these chemicals it's made of and everyone's like oh my god no i would never touch that with a six foot stick it's like it's a freaking banana it's a fucking yeah it's a banana yeah. but the other side the last the funny example about like things with scary names don't be scared of something that you don't know what it is, first of all. I think that's exactly. a good rule of thumb. But like even something with scary names. Killer whales. My favorite example. Killer whales. Terrifying name. Killer whales, they're intelligent. They're the most social marine animals. They are so freaking nice, especially to humans in the wild. It's a killer whale. Don't be afraid of killer whales. They're the sweetest whales you could freaking touch or see or play with. Preservatives. Yeah. Get that conversation so, out of here. Yeah. And then we're going on to colors or food dyes. And this is very controversial, very, very controversial. And there is some reason there, but also we are not like food dyes are such a small part of your diet. And where they're found most prominent in is like, think of like candies, like Skittles. You know, you're going to see a lot of food dyes in there. They're fucking Skittles. Like that's not California a actually. Did, I don't know if you saw that law that was passed late last year. The Skittles were banned in California. Because mm -hmm. I think they contained, is it red dye? Whatever the red scary one is. And the company Skittles, just because California is massive, had to completely redo their formula just for California Skittles. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Like as research comes out and maybe you have more, what we, what, what happened is like red dye 40 have a lot more data available about the potential risk, right? It's always a potential risk for cancer is typically what you'll look at these dyes for carcinogens and at the federal level, it wasn't more regulations around red dye 40 were put in place because of that. So they changed the amount at which you can add them to foods. They changed the safe safety level. So significantly less. So this was actually like, no one talks about this part, but companies had to completely re like change their products because of this. Mm -hmm. So, and then at the state level, 
it's in their hands to decide they have jurisdiction over certain larger companies on whether or not we should ban this. So that's why some states may mm. choose to do so. Others might not. But what these colors do is they help maintain or improve the appearance of foods. So there's no nutritional value here, none. And a lot of the foods you find them in, they're not nutrient-dense foods to begin with. So it's just funny that it's almost like someone saying like organic alcohol is better for you than alcohol. It's like, we're talking about alcohol here. Like people yeah. having an issue with the Skittles, like we're talking about about Skittles here. Like they're yeah. Skittles. Like it's not like that they're is not going to be the most health promoting food. It, you think of. <laughs> no one said that this was a health food. But when you think of a color additive, it can be a dye, pigment or substance that when added or applied to a food, even drugs, cosmetics or the human body is capable of changing its color, influencing its color. And the FDA permitted colors are classified to certain certifications or exemptions from these certifications. So if you are in a synthetically produced category, you're going to have different uh, regulations compared to a natural produced category of colors. So natural produced category may be colors derived from vegetable powders. So beetroot mm. powder is used a lot and more, and you'd say like the healthier candy, they're not going to use yeah. dye, they're going to use beetroot powder to color their foods. So they have different regulations there based off if they're natural or synthetic. And there are nine certified color additives approved for use in the US. And they've undergone extensive testing and have been found to be safe at the amount present in food. And if that ever changes, regulations are going to change. That's what we saw happen with Red Dye 40. And this is reviewed year over year. It is so heavily regulated. And I don't think people understand that enough. There's this common claim that some, I, I even see, like you see, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but this common claim that these synthetic colors are linked to childhood hyperactivity disorders like ADHD and all of the available data on that has been deemed inconclusive. I was going through so many reviews of the available human studies looking at the relationship between this red dye 40 and ADHD and nothing like you can't draw any conclusion yeah. from that. It's just all hearsay from people who start to talk in the media. And it's really difficult to interpret because a lot of the inadequacies in the study design of these studies is really hard to kids are considered a vulnerable population. So in research, it's very, very hard to study them. You don't usually get funding yeah. for it because they're a vulnerable population. So that's something you hear a lot about with these colorings. You also have the debate between the European Union and the United States on, you know, this food color is banned in the EU, but not in the US. I so, see that a lot. Like people will use that as their reason of why something's good or not. Not for what it is. Yeah. But it's like, oh, it's banned in Europe and not here. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing to understand is there's different regulations and processes in the EU and US when it comes to the food system and, and what we put in our food and everything else. We're, we're different, different countries. Yeah. Like there's going to be different regulations and people have really big issues with certain colors being banned in the UK and not in the US. But colors banned in the US, E153 to be specific, it, that's not banned in Europe. Um, it's a vegetable carbon. It's banned in the U.S. because it contains hydrocarbons, which are believed to cause cancer. So they're deemed a carcinogen in the U.S., but that's not banned in, in Europe. So E-153 is found in Skittles in Europe, and it's not found in Skittles in the U.S. Red dye 40 is going to be found in Skittles in the U.S., but not in Skittles in Europe. But that's all people talk about. When it goes apps, it, it completely goes both ways. Something being banned in one country and not the other is not I've evidence never of once harm 
heard that ar- the opposite argument. You're right. I've never yeah. once heard the yeah. opposite argument or, or just pointing out like, if you're going to use that as your logic, like use it as your logic, but use it on the entire case, not just the pieces yeah. that you want. The h- hypocrisy is insane because want to know what else? Four color additives approved in the US aren't permitted in the EU. But there are 16 color ab- additives approved in the EU that are not allowed in the U.S. Are you serious? There, yeah. 16. I have. I will include this link to the study below that goes through all of the regulations for food dyes, food, food additives that they review each year. And this one specifically is looking at the EU and U.S. And it has a whole list of everything, all of the additives that are approved in the U.S., approved in the EU, banned in the U.S., banned in the EU. This is not hidden. This is publicly available information and they update it every single year. Yeah. Just in case you want to see the hypocrisy behind this. Yes. 16 colors are approved in the EU and banned in the US, but only four colors are used in the EU that are banned. I mean, are used in the US that are banned in the EU. And from what it sounds, sorry, just for clarification, because I want to make sure I'm seeing it right. Banned in either country still, even if it's Europe and not the US or US and not Europe, Alone does still doesn't mean that there's it means really nothing. Any, any evidence, or proof, right? From what you were looking at, <laughs> no. it doesn't mean something's good or bad. Because, like you said, you would look through and it's like, well, wait a second, there's zero link, zero mm-hmm. data, not a little bit, zero data showing that like red dye might lead to hyperactivity or ADHD. Yet that's yeah. what it's being banned for. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, just a question. You might not even know the answer to this. Why is something getting banned? with having zero data to support it? Is it just because it's kind of like a sales pitch? Someone can really sell you on something being good or bad and the people who are in charge of making those decisions were sold a certain way? Or like, what, like what, how does that happen? So for the ADHD claim, like that's not actual reason why they've been banned in either country. So that's just more so talk and, and hearsay. It's not- Or like the, the cancer stuff. So the potential carcinogens, so in, let's look at, so most studies looking at like potential carcinogen, potential carcinogens for human consumption, what you deem as probably carcinogenic, so you have the classifications of Mm -hmm. carcinogens, carcinogen classification is different in Europe and the US, and what is deemed as probably carcinogenic to humans is going to mean something differently in the US and Europe. And most of them are based off of usually rodent studies. And it depends on the amount of available data looking at, you know, rodent studies, studies in a Petri dish. If human data becomes available, then yeah, definitely that's going to be going on the list too. But it's not that the data isn't available. It's just how we classify risk. Our risk assessment in the US is different from the EU. So us saying something is probably carcinogenic, that means it has the ability to cause cancer Mm. in certain groups of people. It doesn't clarify the types of people. It doesn't say anything about who is at risk, when they're at risk, at what point. It just possibly can cause cancer. So for us, what is deemed as probably carcinogenic, you need a certain amount of studies to say that. In Europe, the regulations are a little bit more lenient. You may not need as many studies. You may not need as much data available. So they're going to be a little bit more strict on 
okay. what is classified. So I was going to say, are there any of these colors now that would be cause of concern? Um, like the, would, that are, or is it just like the dose is so? It's the dose. It, it's so small because yeah. that's the whole convert, like the whole artificial sweetener thing too. It's like mm-hmm. our, aspartame causes cancer. It's like yeah, if you mega dose like sixty diet cokes worth every single yeah. day, maybe. Yeah. Like, is it kind of yeah. the same conversation where it's just like the dose is so? It's so important. And tiny. like, high, like look at high fructose is? corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is now banned and we banned it. And hmm. it's rare. To, there's certain like, it used to be allowed to be added to everything. So like high fructose corn syrup cannot be added to sodas anymore. That changed over time. More data became available that at certain doses of high fructose corn syrup, we are going to have a big health risk because of the amount of soda that Americans drink. Just because it's added in a safe quantity within the singular drink, now we have data to look at populations on how much soda Americans drink. This is not safe. We need to remove it. Over time, these regulations are going to change, but the dose makes the poison. Red dye 40, there is a lot more research showing that this is a potential carcinogen at the quantities that it is tested on rats in, enough for there to be more regulations about it. I think it will be banned within the next few years. But I was going to say, is that enough cause for someone to avoid anything with red dye 40? If you're not in California, Skittles? Or is it just like, oh, I'm eating seven Skittles with an insanely tiny amount? Like, does it really, is it something that should be avoided? If you're throwing back a pack of Skittles a day, like, I would say don't do that. Like, for various reasons. For a lot of reasons, probably not just like red dye 40, but for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Something that's like, it's not something that you should steer clear of 100% of the time. Yeah. Is what you'd say. Like if it makes up a large yeah. part of your diet, there's a lot of reasons with that or a lot of problems mm-hmm. with that. That's yeah. going to be one of them. But And I'm not over here like supporting adding red dye to 40 to everything. Like I think red dye 40 is unnecessary. We have gone come a long way in food science that it's like mm-hmm. almost this potential risk is very unnecessary because there are so many other ways that we can make things red. It's not really necessary. That's why I think it's going to be gone because it's just not even worth the headache about it. And the biggest change, like our government will make changes at the federal level, typically the most drastic ones when they're trying to save their ass. Like, yeah, all the research could be there, but they're like, we might get too many lawsuits like this year. Like we're going to get, we're going to get rid of this. Like that's unfortunately what happens. Yeah. So that's colors. That's another big one. I think it's important to understand that again, this is not me saying like, go have all these artificial like colors and make this a part of your diet. Like don't take it that way. It's just better to understand where this is coming from and to hopefully lift and alleviate that fear. Tony and I say all the time, like you're the majority of what you're eating on a day-to-day basis is what matters and is the most influential to your health. If you notice that you're snacking on Skittles all day, seven days a week, like, yeah, cut back. But for many reasons, not just because I was going to say probably 10 other reasons before the red yeah. to red dye 40. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. But all of these additives have a purpose. And that's what I want you to understand. Like emulsifiers. So you see lecithin, soy lecithin, people will call out a lot. Mono and diglycerides, these all help prevent ingredient separation. So that that's important. You see them a lot in almond milk. So soy lecithin is going to be in almond milk. It's going to prevent prevent certain ingredients from separating and maybe curdling at the bottom. 
You also see stabilizers and th thickeners. So pectin, guar gum, carrageenan, xanth gum. They help improve the texture and consistency of products. And typically they're the last ingredient. So they're added in very small amounts yeah. that <laughs> would not have an effect on your health. Leavening agents like baking soda, monocalcium phosphate. These allow baked goods to rise during baking. Yes, they're considered an additive. Um, and some additives also control the pH of food. So lactic acid, citric acid, this prevents it from spoiling, going rancid, and then some enhance the flavor. So MSG, hydrolyzed soy protein, and all of their amounts are very tightly regulated. But in conclusion, like, yes, some additives have unfamiliar names and they may be demonized by the media and certain social media influencers, but nowadays food and color additives are very strictly studied and regulated and they're monitored at any time of the year. This is food scientist's job. But over time, at certain points in history, like those regulations have changed. So yeah. yeah, certain things we have learned about and maybe 10 years down the line, like I would have another episode on this because things are going to change. More research is going to come about. We, we learn about food and our consumption, our behaviors around food. So that's just how it is. Typically, these people on the internet in the grocery store are citing rodent studies where these rats or mice were fed hundreds of thousands times more of this given substance than is actually allowed in food. So any of these negative effects from these studies typically are going to be referenced and applied to humans, which is totally irresponsible, inaccurate, and not useful for consumers at all uh, when evaluating the safety of a substance and whether it should be approved the FDA does consider immediate and long-term health effects, and they have so many safety factors in play to determine the appropriate level to add to food. So this isn't me saying like, oh, I'm just like team FDA. Like they do so much shit fucking wrong. They do so yeah. much wrong, but that's how it works. Like there are regulations. You can't just put, that's why the supplement industry exists because there are no regulations there. They can't, if you're going to be worried about what's in your food, oh my fucking God, worry yeah, about these, about these supplements that these wacko influencers who stand in a grocery store barefoot are selling you because there are no regulations for what the fuck they put into their supplements. Do you not see how crazy that is? Yeah. Like you're telling me I can't eat this because it has a preservative in it and you're selling you have your own protein powder or liver supplement that you could put whatever the fuck you want into it i can't yeah. sorry i'm done that's it and i was gonna say too something that might be helpful because i know people might be like what if you want to look further into certain things like red dye 40 whatever it is and if you just do a google search it's not super helpful because most of what you're going to get is articles news articles articles people yeah. wrote about their <laughs> opinions that can be very easily influenced one way or another to not just give you the truth it's not actual research i don't know have you seen this it's called consensus.app yeah yep consensus.app yep. i don't know if anybody else listening to this has seen it yet i know lane norton had a hand in producing it i don't know if he had yeah. a big hand a little hand but i know he was a, a major role in creating it but it's so freaking cool because it's ai and it has access to for, I, I think pretty much almost all published literature when it comes to research and you can ask it a question and it gives you a consensus on it so do artificial sweeteners destroy gut health or whatever like that and you ask it a question and it will pull up like oh there's been 26 studies done on this 15 in humans seven in rodents whatever like name them off like that 83 percent said you're fine 10 percent said maybe two percent said 
no, right? Like it gives you a general consensus of like whether or not something is supported by the data. Mm -hmm. So I think that's super helpful because people don't know. I mean, one, research is hard to read, but two, it's yeah. hard to find for a lot of people too. So consensus.app is what you just type it into Google. Super helpful tool. And it cites and gives you all of the research right there too if you want to go read it yourself or dig any further into it. So no, I was like, I, I feel like something for this, like preservatives, additives, stuff like that. I feel like that could be so helpful because I think that's a, a good rule. You shouldn't be afraid of something if you don't know what it is. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, but you want to find out what it is, that's a cool tool to use to better understand what the hell you're talking about mm -hmm. that's a cool one yeah i like this episode <laughs> oh i'll get pumped up for it which fyi if you're listening to this and you're still hanging around this is gonna be our last episode online here because we're going to allo next week mariana's flying out and barring that we don't have any terrible travel disasters like we did last time the next episode will be coming at you live from the allo house up in LA where we're going to be together know, having a good time and we got some good stuff planned for y'all too. So we'll see you there next week. Again, if you want more after this, our Friday, ask me anything. If you want access to all of our full training programs, including the one coming out in the next several weeks, five bucks for FS premium. And that sign up is in the show notes below.